Welcome back to the G-Truth, home of the one, one and only good truth. Today, I'm going to start off by talking about the AAF. For those that, that do not know, that is also known for the um, the Alliance of American Football. They made their debut last week. From what I've heard, what I've seen, it, it was a pretty good debut. It's pretty good. Um, they play again this week. Today, so they play every single Sunday, and they play as far as as far as we know from their debut during the off season of the NFL, which is great for them because that means they get a whole bunch of viewership because that's the only football that's on during that time, and it's also great for casual fans who just like watching football because it's football that's on TV. It fills in that gap that where there's no football from. Well, February all the way until September. So that's, that's great for fans. And with the way that the AAF, the American Alliance of Football, is set up, it's set up around entertainment and quick movement. A lot of quick movement. There's no dilly-dallying, no waiting around. So I want to go through some things that they changed in their rules that differs from the NFL that I believe makes them a lot more interesting and what the NFL can learn from it. And how that affects the entertainment value of them. So let me start off. The AAF does not have any kickoffs. Teams just start at their own 25-yard line instead of kickoffs. Now, what the NFL has tried to do is minimize um, the amount that teams return kickoffs. Because it's one of the most dangerous places. You have people running full speed at each other. Head-to-head contact. Stuff like that. So the NFL tried to lower down the amount of people running out of the end zone or or uh, return the kickoffs so that it minimizes the amount of injuries that, that occur and bad ones as well. And and it and, and it has worked for the NFL. But what the A what the AAF has done is completely just get rid of kickoffs. Just completely get rid of it. Which Allows zero risk, zero percent risk of injury at all, rather than what the NFL is doing, which still allows risk, but at the same time it also allows big spontaneous plays. But there's only been five total um, kicks that have been returned for touchdowns this entire uh, last season. So it makes sense why the AAF would want to eradicate that rather than you know having the likelihood of. Really, a really, really an extremely low chance of uh, kickoff return for a touchdown. Next, they removed the extra point completely. They said, "No, no extra points. There's only going to be two point conversions," which again adds to the uh, drama of of the game or or the excitement, the entertainment, because you don't know what's going to happen on a two point conversion. It it adds that sort of extra flair because because even nowadays. Even with the NFL moving back the extra point uh, from like the two yard line to the like fifteen yard line, so it's a longer field goal, which would incentivize teams to do more two point conversion, and that worked early on, as kickers miss a lot of PATs. But now kickers are getting a bit more accustomed to it. You see less and less missed PATs from when it was first implemented, and so you see a lot less two point conversions on those tries. So. Again, the American Alliance of Football is doing something for the fans, for entertainment, where they basically just say, 
hey, we don't need we don't need a kicker to kick off at all, or or kick extra points, two two point conversions easily. Oh, and 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 before I forget to mention this, for the uh, kickoff where they don't have any kickoffs, that that also means that they do not have any onside kickoffs or onside kicks. Even though there's a really some chance that that would actually ever happen, but it is removed. But as an alternative for that, teams that are trailing by 17 or more points in the final five minutes, after they score a touchdown, they can attempt a 4th and 12 play from their own 28 airline. So say they're losing by 7 and there's like 2 minutes left and they're like, we got no timeouts. We just scored a touchdown in a 7-point game, we got no timeouts, 2 minutes left, we, we got to get the ball back and score. They can easily say, hey, we want the ball, 4th and 12. Give us the ball at the twenty-eight yard, our own twenty-eight yard line, and we'll convert this and tie this game up. And if they don't, then I mean, it's a it's a one one are done, I guess. Uh, play fourth and twelve. They either get it or they don't, which I think is really really smart. Now, why it's fourth and twelve specifically, I do not know, but I I think it's a pretty cool idea where where they still allow some safety, but also add to the excitement of it. So I, I, th- I think that's pretty smart. Next up is the overtime. Again, going back to that uh, Patriots-Chiefs games, fans did not like that ending because, and I, and I think that they personally did not like it because it was the Patriots that won. If the Chiefs won, I'm pretty sure people have less of a problem with it or have a problem with it, but it's not as much to this extent. But what they have done in the AAF is they've allowed like the college style of it where where both teams get the ball and they both get a chance to score. But during the regular season, if both teams are tied at the end of like one session, which would be like one quarter, um in the NFL or one or one overtime, then it just ends in tie, but that's in the regular season. I'm pretty sure in the postseason it will go to multiple overtimes, just like the college system. So I think that's going to be adding to the entertainment value of it. It definitely will be adding to the entertainment value of it. Now, this is where it gets really, 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 really nice for fans and players and coaches. Pretty much everyone is that they have a sky judge. They have... A ninth official who is in a press box um, all the way up, not really the balcony, but, you know, where where the fans are sitting, up high. That, that parents can see the replays, all that stuff, and has almost like the final call on on any sort of replay or or safety-related calls, helmet to helmet, catches in the end zone. And, and we saw this in the Orlando versus Atlanta game. Where they had their sky judge over overturn a call of an incomplete pass that would that ended up being overturned for a touchdown, and and the person got the right call. Uh, I'll leave you play it right now. Able to listen in. Ground. The ball hits the ground. I'm gonna let this stand. 
Terry Valenti, the replay He's rolling official. on the ground. He's using the ground to keep it in there. The ball, the ground helps him. We're going to let it stand. So she's going to agree with the call on the field. No touchdown. She feels that the ground helped the catch at the end of the catch. Touched. So as you can see, they got the right call. They overturned it. They said it was a catch. The player had, the pos had possession of the ball. And I think that the NFL can especially learn from this, especially after the whole uh, Saints versus Rams fiasco where the player got hit head-to-head -head contact, pass interference, stuff like that, where this guy judge can, can look into that. Uh, and especially since there's a rule saying that Within the last five minutes of a game, the person in the skybox can get a chance to rule on pass interference calls. So that will definitely add to it. Now, there's something that kind of hurts it a bit. And I think that also goes with more of the entertainment value of it as well. Where they have placed rules to restrict the defense. Purposefully. In, in their rules... They they stated that no more than five players can rush the quarterback or running back can rush on a single play, which means that you can only have five players going either for the quarterback or running back on a single play, which limits defensive creativity because how are you going to pull off multiple blitzes, different blitz packages, getting to the quarterback, all that stuff. Though I think the whole point of this is to protect the quarterback and to allow for really skill to, to, to show in the defensive lineman. But it, at the same time, it limits the amount that the defensive coach or coordinator can, can do on defense with sending different blitz packages. And really it sets, hey, you can have five people rush and then you can put seven guys into zone or man coverage. And it allows the offense to really do whatever they want. But, again, this allows for bigger plays, uh, allows for offensive coordinators to be able to say, hey, we just need five players guarding. Uh, yeah, we just need five uh, on the offensive line, a running back, quarterback, and then we can have everyone else be a wide receiver, which would be really cool. So, again, adding to that entertainment value while also keeping the quarterback safe because the quarterback is more likely not going to get hit. However, there is this one spectacular play that I think it's going to get a lot of hype about the AAF compared to the NFL. It's when this quarterback got smacked right in the face. Was it head-to-head -head contact, helmet-to-helmet? -helmet? I don't know. But it was a big hit. His helmet ended up flying off, and he got completely destroyed. It was a sack on the quarterback by the defensive lineman. It was a great tackle, but in the NFL, it would probably be a penalty. But that's what the AAF is going to be allowing a lot more of, harder hits. So as you can see through 
allowing no kickoffs. That's really just boring. Not a lot of, not a lot of stuff happens there. And for the NFL and for fans that watch the NFL, it's more of just an intro or segue into a bunch of commercials, especially during the Super Bowl. Especially during the Super Bowl. There's no more extra points. It's all two-point conversions. Therefore, adding to the excitement of it. In overtime, each team gets the ball. Again, adding to the excitement of it. Adding to that entertainment, which I think a lot of fans really, really want. There's a whole lot of officiating that's done that's really, really well. And it's well done. Uh, It makes sense. It's explained thoroughly as well, uh, as you can see in the video. And and I think that fans really like that. I think coaches like that for at least people to admit when they're wrong. And especially since they have the mic connected to to the person that's giving the officiating and and the camera on them, it puts the pressure on them to make the right call. Because then they because then it's really hard for them to make the wrong call because then they'll get all the blame for it. But then also. The league allows hard hits. It allows hard hits. And I think that's what fans really, really like. Um, Comparing this modern day of football, comparing it to uh, football from even like 10 years ago. Where you could destroy a person and fans love it. It's not good for a player's safety, but fans love it. Because that's what... Stone cold football is like that people have grown up with, where people get smacked in the mouth, stuff like that. And as for restricting defense with the with the only five people can rush rule, that only adds more to the offense and for offensive creativity. So again, this league right now, the way that the rules are built, is built for entertainment. It's not built to be super super competitive. Or to compete with the NFL in any way. It's built to be entertainment. Fun for fans to uh, to watch. And there's even reports of the NFL looking to make it a G League of sorts the way it is. Or to, to make it like a, the G League is for the NBA. Like a segue into the NFL. For players that did not quite make it. Stuff like that. While they also get paid for playing football. And it's great publicity for those players since this happens during the offseason of the NFL. And I think it's just great for fans as well. So I, I think that's the main sort of thing around the AAF. It's great for fans. It's, fun for, it's great for fans because it's, it's more football. And it's very entertaining. High-octane offense and a lot of action. It's great for the NFL because they get uh, more, pub- more publicity with players. And... They get a scout more. They get a scout a lot more players to see if some are still good. So that's my take on it. On to my next topic. We got a trade. League sources told ESPN on February thirteenth, Wednesday, that the Baltimore Ravens have an agreement in principle to trade Joe Flacco. Former Super Bowl MVP to the Denver Broncos. Now, this trade cannot be officially processed until March 13th. But 
that does not mean that it's too early for us to talk about it. So, so that's that's what we're gonna do. So to start this off, I'm just gonna say this: this is a horrible decision by John Elway and the Broncos. They got Case Keenum right now, who I believe is younger. Joe Flacco's a bit older, who I believe is not not the same Joe Flacco that he was several years ago in his rookie year or years a bit after that. He just wasn't the same. Heath, Heath Cummings had uh, a very shocking stat line to, to show on Twitter uh, comparing Case Keenum, the current uh, quarterback for the Denver Broncos, and Joe Flacco, who's going to be traded to the Denver Broncos from the Baltimore Ravens. They both have very, very similar completion percentage, very similar yards per attempt, um, comparing 6.9 to 6.5, and completion percentage 62.6% to 62%, and then also adjusted yards per attempt, 6.5 to 6 uh, adjusted yards per attempt, Equal amount of touchdown percentage at 3.5, and within 0.02% in interception percentage, and then very similar quarterback rating. So, so this just off the bat, with all these advanced stats, tells me that there's not much separating these two statistically. Now, I'm pretty sure what John Elway and what the Broncos are trying to do is trying to put Joe Flacco in a Peyton Manning 2.0 situation where Peyton Manning took them to two Super Bowls behind a spectacular defense, and he won one of them. He didn't play phenomenal in either of them, but they won because they had a great defense, and he was a great quarterback, and he knew what to do. So I believe that's what they're trying to do. But here's the thing. Joe Flacco's falling off. He's falling off. He, uh, aside from his first few years where he made the playoffs, and I'm pretty sure this is where the the uh, the Broncos are trying to look at. He made the playoffs in 2008, 2009, his first two years in the in the league, and then he made it 2011, uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, where he won the Super Bowl, and then 2014. Those four years that he made. The playoffs, he has 24 touchdowns and 4 interceptions. That is great. And he had one of the greatest defenses in 2012. But his last appearance in the playoffs was in 2014. And like I said, he's on the decline. He's been playing horribly since then. Since he made the playoffs. Since 2014. So that means I'm looking at the years 2015 to 2018. He has a quarter and he has a touchdown to interception rate ratio of 16 to 11.5. Those are just averages. 16 to 11.5. Now, one of those years he was injured, 2015, where he only had 10 games that he played and started. But 2016 and 2017, he played all the games and he still played horrible. Let me pull up the all the stats really quickly on those two seasons. Just those two seasons. 
Still 19 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. That's still horrible. With a quarter with a quarterback uh rating of eight of eighty two point one. That's not great. That's not spectacular. He also had a completion percentage of sixty four point five, which is fine, but it's nothing too crazy. And then you look at this season. This season. This was a horrible season by his standards. Twelve touchdowns, six interceptions within on uh, playing nine games, and then he got benched for Lamar Jackson. And 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 before he even got benched, he had a losing record with the Baltimore Ravens, who had the top one or two defense in the whole entire league. And then he allows a rookie to come in and Lamar Jackson. And he wins a lot of games and takes the Ravens to the playoffs. That that's who the Broncos believe in. The Broncos were horrible last year, and they had a great defense. They get they got a great running game, just like the Ravens do. But guess what? Flacco did nothing with the Ravens. For the past four years. He's not the same guy. He's not that same 24 touchdown, four interceptions in the playoffs. That that the that that Peyton Manning used to be and and that John Elway hopes that will emerge in the playoffs if if they make it with Joe Flacco. That's what John Elway and the Broncos hope for. But let me tell you something. That ain't happening. It's not happening. He he can take a top one or two defense in the whole entire league to the playoffs. How can you expect him to take a Broncos team that is still good defensively, but it's not nearly as close as it is as it was last year and the year before that during those Super Bowls. Not nearly as close to that. Not nearly as close to that level. How can you expect him on the decline to take him to the playoffs and to win a championship? That's why I think that this is a horrible decision by John Elway and the Broncos. And that they should rather look to draft a quarterback and make something of him. Or or at least keep Case Keenum while while they search for that quarterback. They tried Paxton Lynch, Trevor Simeon, Brock Osweiler. Right now they're on Case Keenum. Has not worked well. Joe Flacco's not going to work either. He's not. They got to figure out someone else that will fit that system and work well. And at this point, John Elway is a great GM he he drafts really well. He's drafted really, really well. But on the defensive side, he's drafted really well. He's been drafting really well on the defensive side. When it's come to quarterback, it hasn't been hasn't been too spectacular. It has not been too spectacular. So I believe that they need to let someone else figure out the quarterback situation. Because it's only gonna get worse. Joe Flacco is not the guy that John Elway and the Broncos hope that he will be. 
He's not. So anyways, that's my opinion on the whole Joe Flacco trade. Hopefully it works out for the Broncos. But I don't, I don't think it will. I just don't think it will. And it's, and it's, and it's, it's, a, tough div- it's a tough division. You got the Chargers and you got the Chiefs. God knows what the Raiders are going to do because they're just the Raiders with John Gruden doing whatever John Gruden's doing. They're probably not going to make any noise, but they're the Raiders, so they're always going to be there. Um, not not in playoff contention, I'm going to make that clear, but they're always going to figure out a way to win at least like a few games, and it's going to be bad, but they're going to figure out to win. But I, I believe this is a horrible trade for, for the Broncos. And it's a great trade for the Ravens because they commit to Lamar Jackson and get rid of Joe Flacco's humongous cap hit in, in contract. Anyways, this has been the G-Truth. Um, for longer episodes, I'm just make this clear, you can look in the description of, of the... Uh, of the episode to to find timestamps of what I talk about, where I talk about them, uh, just in case you want to skip ahead to specific storylines that that you want to listen to or hear my opinion about. Um, yeah, don't forget to follow or subscribe, depending on whatever uh, podcast app that you are listening to. But anyways, it has been the G Truth. Thank you for listening. Peace out.